get into God's word. Here we are at the end of this epistle. We see Paul, Paul's closing prayers and closing words and exhortations and such. We're not going to recap last week's message because to do that, we would actually end up recapping like the last 10 messages. And we've been doing that every week. And I think we've been uh, very blessed to kind of have a cohesive flow through the epistle. And as we close out the epistle, we'll touch on some of the things from the previous weeks and so forth. And hopefully this will just all kind of get wrapped up in a, in a manner where we just see the, 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 the you know, the fluid nature of God's word and his spirit moving upon uh, holy men as, as they penned the scriptures. So at the end of the epistle here, we're going to see Paul again praying for them two prayers. We're going to see Paul as well asking for prayer from them. And in that, we're going to kind of talk about, you know, throughout the epistle, God's been, or Paul's been commending them about their fellowship and their love for one another. You could say their community, but really we see in this and all the emphasis on prayer was a community that was built on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk about the importance of that. We're going to talk about the peace of God because he prays for them that God of peace will sanctify them and preserve them. And he talks to them about how God's going to do this and how the Lord is coming back real soon and is going to be faithful to do all these things. And there's a great emphasis on God's peace, God's sanctification, God's preservation of those in Christ, and again, the promise of a soon return, and that has not gone away. And then again, Paul asks for prayer. We talk about the importance of that and charges them again to greet each other holy in a holy manner for all of them to receive the word and then finally closes praying for the grace of God to abound in their lives. And so I think as we go through this, it sounds like a lot, but this really will all, I think, uh, really come together well. It all just really is a beautiful, uh, another piece of this uh, puzzle in this epistle, and even in these closing words, just it's beautifully how it just all flows so well. So let's read it together, and then we'll just go through this a verse at a time. <clears throat> so again, First Thessalonians five twenty three, he says, "Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it." Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Now again, notice verse 23. And notice here, um, verse, where are we at? Verse 28. These are both prayers. He says, now may the God of peace himself. And so this is Paul saying, listen, May God do this, but in saying it the way he's saying it, he's, again, teaching them, and he's talking about what God's doing, but he's also praying. And then again, here at the end, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you, amen. It's like, you could say probably it's one prayer, but you could also say it's two prayers. And then notice again, sandwiched in the middle of these two prayers is verse 25, Paul saying, brother, pray for us. And we'll talk more about that here in a little bit, about him asking for prayer. But things I want to, thing I want to emphasize here, again, is Paul's praying for them, and Paul's asking for prayer from them. And again, throughout this epistle, Paul has been commending them for their love for one another. He's been commending them for their community uh, in Jesus Christ. He's been talking about how their love for each other is seen by others. And again, he's been emphasizing and we've seen the emphasis in the scripture that that love was seen not just through 
surfacey interaction and then having warm fuzzies for one another, but it was seen and then walking in the word of God. And remember we saw there in 1 John, how do we know we love God? How do we know we love our brethren? When we keep his commandments. The thing I really want to point out in that, and again, them walking in the word of God and then them walking in prayer for one another really shows, yes, this was a, a, a church with, with rich community, but here's the key, listen, it was community built on the Lord, not just community. And what you see in a lot today is emphasis on community and the church. In fact, I, I, I see oftentimes even in statements of faith and purpose and so forth, they'll say, we're a church built on community. And listen, that's problematic. We want to be a church of community, but we want to be a community built on the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a big difference between the two of those things. Pointing one another to the Lord. Listen, lifting one another up to the Lord and so forth. Yeah, a community that's built on the rock of Jesus Christ. You look at the letters there in the book of Revelation. These are letters that Jesus Christ wrote to those seven churches there in Asia. We also can see these letters Listen, they, they line up with periods of history, church history over the last 2,000 years. And most people agree that that letter to the church of Laodicea is a picture of the church today. Now, listen, it, it's kind of the, 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 the picture of the general workings of the church today. Now, there's always remnants in these churches and so forth. But it's interesting, as you read that letter to Laodicea, you see it's a church of community, but it's not community built on the Lord Jesus Christ. We talked about it many times. Jesus Christ is outside of this church. Notice what he says to them in Revelation 3, 17. Because you, so he's talking to them, you, the church, he's already dressed the church of Laodicea, because you, this church, say, I am rich, I have become wealthy, I have need of nothing. Do you not know you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? So again, their emphasis was I and us and we. We're all these things. And the Lord says, you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. They're saying collectively we're rich, collectively we're wealthy, collectively we need nothing. Why? Because we got each other. Kumbaya, we're built on community. And the Lord says, don't you know though? Listen, you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel to you, buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich in white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. Anoint your eyes with eye sap that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. And then verse 20, we're familiar with it. And we need to be familiar with it because any of us can fall into this place. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. So in other words, they're together, but Jesus is on the outside of the church. It's a community not built on the Lord. But God in his goodness is calling them to repent, pursuing them, Knocking at the door, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. And what we see in this, again, Paul commending them on their community, their love for each other. But again, in the midst of it, he's commending them and walking in the call of God for their life. And then we see Paul calling them to prayer. And we see Paul praying for them. And then Paul asking them to pray for him, knowing that they would do that. And that's what we want to strive for. We want to be a community but we want the emphasis to be on the foundation, the Lord Jesus Christ. I had a great blessing yesterday. We were out. Um, we had our, our softball game that, you know, coaching my daughter's team. And we played at one. And before, one of the brothers in the church 
whose daughter's on a, a younger team, they were playing before us, and we're warming up in the outfield, and we kind of talked a little bit. And then I'm out there, and I'm, I'm warming up my daughter to pitch for the next game and whatnot. And I'm down there taking pitches from her, and all of a sudden, this brother's at the chain link fence, and he says, man, you know what, man, I'm going through a hard time right now. Uh, you know what, I, I need prayer. And I go, man, well, I want to pray for you. And we're down there, I go, but I got to warm up Stevie right now, so I'm going to just come down here and take pitches, and I'm going to pray for you, okay? And he's about 10 feet away on the other side of the fence, so he came around, he's standing by me, and there's a game going on, our team's warming up, and there's a bunch of guys playing, is it bocce ball over there, or what are they playing, and they're right there, and so forth, and it's like, you know what, who cares about all of this? And, and I prayed for him, uh, it was like a little, little, little Holy Ghost moment out there, the Pentecostal moment, because I'm praying, and he's saying, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, because his brother was burdened, and I was like, I don't care what's going on, I need prayer, and it's like, you know what, I don't care what's going on either, you need prayer as well. We prayed, cried out to the Lord while I'm taking, you can pray with your eyes open if you don't want to hit in the face with a softball, (laughs) and um, I can pray with my eyes open, that's what I got out of the message today, and and pray for him and so forth, so our, our, our game's going, it's about an hour and a half later, our game's going all of a sudden, there he is at the fence again, but now it's in the infield, because we're not warming up in the outfield, the game's going, he's like, oh, praise the Lord, oh, praise the Lord, prayer works, prayer works, and he starts giving this praise report of, of, of God and what he was doing and so forth, and I was like, you know, thank you, Lord, that's what we want, and listen, I, I don't want to say that to try to bring any type of glory to us because it's not about our prayers it's not about us but it's about who we pray to the lord god almighty and i thought you thank you lord for that that's what we want to walk in we don't want to just be a community we want to be a community built on the lord jesus christ listen also in this we see paul being a doer of the word we don't see paul just being one who hears the word or proclaims the word but we see paul walking on the word remember paul told them just a few verses before about things that were, you know what, uh, absolutely God's will for them. One of them was to pray without ceasing. This is God's will for you. And I love it because Paul is doing what he has told them to do, and he is doing what the Lord has told him to do. He's not just, you know what, hearing or proclaiming, but he's actually doing it. And that's part of being a group built on community as well. If we are just, you know what, proclaiming the word of God, but we're not walking in the word of God, I think we're fooling ourselves. We don't want to fall into that place. So this is a Paul just saying, do as I say, not as I do, but Paul's saying, do as I say and do. And he could talk, also tack on, not as I did. Remember before Paul persecuted the church, and then he got saved. Now he's saying, listen, do as I say and also do as I do. He said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And I know sometimes people, parents with their kids, you know, they feel like they're a hypocrite because of all the things they were doing when their kids were that age. And sometimes they say, well, you know, I don't feel really fine saying that because of the stuff I did. Listen, you need to say it. You need to say, do as I say, and hopefully it's as I do as well, and then not as I did. And let them learn from your errors and your mistakes and talk to your kids about those things so they don't have to repeat all of the dumb things we did, amen? And then lay hands on them and pray for them. Yeah. Get over here. No. So, now let's look at the prayer. Now, he says, now may the God of peace himself, and then we'll talk about sanctification and him completing this work and preservation and all these awesome things. But again, may the God of peace himself, and we need the peace of God. 
Listen, outside of Christ, we're not at peace with God. We're in sin. We're under the wrath of God. That's why Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. Why? Because the world was already condemned. He didn't condemn what was already condemned. I didn't come to condemn the world. They're already under sin. They're already under wrath. They're already at odds with God. But I came to save the world. I came to make a way of peace. And we need that. We need it in our lives positionally to have right standing with God. And daily we need it practically. And that only comes through the God of peace himself. We can have peace of God through the God of peace. And that's a glorious, glorious thing. Listen, that's why Christ came, so that we could have peace, so that we could be in a place of right standing with him, that we can go from being under the law that shows us we are sinners, and listen, if we stand being judged by the law in our own merit before God Almighty, everyone in this room is going to hell. We grossly fall short of it. But the God of peace came so that we could go from being under the law to under grace over here. You guys that sit on this side, you're always on the, the sinful side, right? And then it's like, and now grace is over here, the law is over here, and I guess this is a, you know what, Jesus standing here, he in the middle took that wrath, do us, he lived that sinless life, took that wrath, do us to pay our debt. We're over here with great debt. He is the middleman, the mediator, the only one, paid our debt, paid it in full, a sinless life laid down for sinners. He laid it down and he took it back up, defeated sin, death, and Satan, that when we put our trust in him, now we enter into peace through the life of Jesus Christ and now we are under grace and positionally, now we're at peace with the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll talk more about that here in a second when we talk about sanctification. But notice Romans 5.1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ and that's the only way you'll have peace with God. Is through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. And if it's Jesus plus a little bit of you, you're not going to have peace. If it's Jesus plus I need to do this, well, now you're back under that law and you're going to transgress that law. I don't care what it is. The law shows us we're sinners. But through the Lord Jesus Christ saying, I put my faith in him to be my Lord and my Savior, now we have peace because I'm under grace. I am saved through what Jesus has done for me. Again, through whom? We have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Isn't it a wonderful thing? Isn't it something we can rejoice in knowing, again, I was under the law, I was condemned. Christ fulfilled the law. He died for me. He rose from the grave. I've trusted in him. Now I'm under grace. Positionally, I'm at peace with God. That's something we can rejoice in today, amen? That's a glorious thing. That, to me, that's a pick-me-up. That is a glorious thing. And then from there, listen, the God of peace wants to give us peace daily. He's afforded that to us. Now, unfortunately, we don't always take up our cross and walk in that peace, do we? And at times we are tempted to, again, not embrace the, the, the person of the Lord and the promises of God. It's there for us, but we don't always walk in it. Jesus said in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. But we don't always practically have peace, do we? The Lord's left it for us, but we don't always have it. That's our doing. He's good to us in the midst of it to woo us into that peace. But peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Listen, the world's peace is temporary. It comes and it goes. He goes, I don't give you that temporary peace. He says, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. 
you heard me say to you, I'm going away and we'll come back to you. And we looked even recently, all these ways we have peace. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who helps us, who comforts us. We have, again, the promises of God that are yes and amen. I'm coming back for you. Your time here is short. We have the promises, again, of Scripture. We have all this truth before us. Just think about a verse we talk about oftentimes out of 1 Peter. Casting your cares upon him, knowing he cares for you. There's great peace found in that. I got all these things taking away from my peace, but I can lay these down. It doesn't mean that, you know what, there, there necessarily isn't any action I'm supposed to take. You know, it's not just a thing of negligence. You know, I just won't worry about it. Meanwhile, all this stuff's stacking up. Listen, God, I can lay this down knowing he cares for me. And the fact that the God who made heaven and earth, who's sustaining all this right now, who gave you your last breath, who died on the cross, rose from the grave, and has all these promises for you, that God cares for you. Isn't that a peaceful thought? And the Lord wants us to receive that. He's the God of peace. And I love this as well. May the God of peace himself, and this is glorious. He's made that way of peace through what he's done on the cross, through himself, and then daily he wants to bring that peace to us. Aren't you so glad that Jesus didn't just die on the cross and resurrect from the grave and then set up a cardboard cutout of himself? But instead he's working, himself working in your life day after day after day. That is a glorious thing. I love what he declared there in Matthew twenty-eight twenty to the disciples. He gives them the great commission to take the gospel out. And he says, lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age, amen, or so be it, or that's the final authority. So again, he's praying for them. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Now to be sanctified, it means to be made holy, to be in that place of sinlessness. And God's standard of holiness is 100% without sin. Again, before we put our trust in him, we are under the law and we are sinners. The Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags, and God is not bringing filth into heaven. Listen, sin brings death. Sin is rebellion. Sin is man saying, I'll do as I will. It is saying, I am my own God, and that is not going down in heaven, and that's a glorious thing, because man's sin has brought death and war and disease and abuse and all these things. It's rooted in man's rebellion. But Jesus Christ, again, went to the cross to make that way of Forgiveness paid our debt for all of our sin. And now through him, through his blood, I am, again, saved. I'm under grace. And positionally now I'm sanctified. We're not seen positionally as sinners. Now we're seen as saints. We're seen as washed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is a glorious, glorious, glorious thing. I love how it's said there in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, down through verse 11, he says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So those that have not been sanctified, those that have not been made holy positionally through Jesus Christ will not inherit the kingdom of God. Good works will not afford you the kingdom of God. There are not other roads that lead to the kingdom of God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. And that needs to be proclaimed today because there's so much confusion in what's called the evangelical church today about the means of salvation. They take these polls and so forth and they ask 
suppose of Bible-believing Christians, you know, are there more than one way to heaven? And it's just the percentages every year goes up. Oh, yes, there's multiple ways. There's a prominent pastor, I can't remember his name, he pastors this church in New York, I think Brooklyn or Harlem, 20,000 members. And just this past week, he declared to his own church that there are multiple ways to go to heaven, that Jesus is not the only way, and we need to be loving and we need to get along. And, and not only was it sad and sickened me by what he said, but the congregation, you heard it collectively, amen, praise Jesus. Why are you praising Jesus for that? You're blaspheming Jesus is what you're doing. You're lying to these people right now. You're lying to them so that you can be afforded kudos and applause by people that reject the Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to know, again, it is only through him. And the unrighteous, those not in him, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says next, do not be deceived. The whole scripture is about lifting this veil of deception. And when the word of God emphasizes deception, do not be deceived, it's saying this is an area that you need to, to, to have an extra emphasis on when it comes to deception because you're easily deceived in this. And there's so much deception in this area today. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And that list could just keep going and going and going of these sins. What's he mean by this? Does this mean someone that struggles with a sin that calls out to Jesus to be sinned and now to be saved and now he's over here wrestling with us, he won't inherit the kingdom of God? No, that's not saying that. We'll talk about sanctification practically here in a second. This is someone that says, yes, extorting is a sin, Idolatry is a sin. Lord, forgive me of this. I I don't want to acknowledge this anymore. I want you to be my Lord. I no longer want to bow knee to the God of extortion. I want to walk in you. I'm trawling out of you to be the Lord. Guide, govern my life. Be my Lord. Again, that person's saved. They might struggle with extorting, but they're saying, God, work in me. I'm not acknowledging this as being all right. But notice some of these sins here. We're living in a day and age where there's individuals taking up the mantle of these sins and they're trying to incorporate it in their Christianity. Just the other day, my son showed me a post on one of those social media things, I don't know which one it was, of an individual who, in our community who for years uh, went on mission trips and preached the gospel and so forth. And then a a couple of years ago, he made this public proclamation that I am a born-again homosexual. And the sad thing is, is how many data boys he got when he put this out on social media. How many people that, uh, that, that say they're Christians, that say they go to Bible teaching churches, oh, that's so wonderful. And there was one person on that thread that said, hey, you know what, this is a sin. And boy, he got shamed and boohoo. It's like, you know, if he was standing there, they were throwing tomatoes at him and stuff at him. And he's like, wait a minute, he's, this guy's loving him by doing that. Um, but this guy's saying, listen, I could be a, Born again, homosexual. No, it's one or the other. You're not calling sin, sin. You're not repenting of that. And this, this is fresh because recently he showed me another one where he says, I'm so thankful for my boyfriend. He's leading me so much closer to Jesus. And I'm thinking, are you talking about Jesus or Jesus, like another guy you know here? Because listen, this, this, is, this is rank heresy to the umpth degree. 
And my heart sunk when I heard that because, okay, now not only are you proclaiming your rebellion, but now you're standing up and you're going to teach others. And this, this individual has a huge platform in our community, runs very, some prominent businesses in our community here. And now you're going to start teaching others? The Bible says, let not many become teachers. You'll incur a stricter judgment. That's a frightening thing. So he says, don't be deceived. Now, could you imagine if this guy said, okay, I'm coming out of the closet. I am a born-again adulterer. And I'm letting everyone know I cheat on my wife at every turn. I'm a born-again adulterer. How many data boys do you think you'd get on his deal? I think it'd be crickets. And some people would say, how dare you, you know, and so forth. And it's interesting because a lot of times when the sin of homosexuality is talked about, and it's talked about a lot because it is something the enemy is using to try to come against Christianity. Listen, these people peddling these agendas, they don't, they don't care about homosexuals. Hillary Clinton does not care about homosexuals. These people don't. They don't care about them as individuals and people. They use them to push their agenda is what they do. They, they could care less about those folks. So can you imagine, again, this guy making that declaration of, of his adultery and, and so forth, again, immediately it'd be frowned on. But again, what we often do is talk about the homosexuality, and people say, wait a minute, there's way more adultery and fornication amongst heterosexuals, and that's, that's actually very true. Very true. But let's play that the other way then, as well, if, if people want to do that, well, do we say that's okay? Well, absolutely not. If someone said, I'm a born-again fornicator, I'm a born-again, well, I heard the born-again fornicator actually quite a bit, but a born-again adulterer, no. Well, how much more with this? So he says, don't be deceived in this. Listen, we better call sin, sin as defined by the word of God, not by our fuzzies or with some, again, some guy call himself a priest with a rainbow stash around his neck saying, what does God's, God honors his word above his own name. So listen, across the board with all this sin, all of it, don't be deceived. Those that embrace that and wanted to incorporate in their Christianity and say, I'm justified in this, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Again, I don't know that individual's heart, but his doctrine and fruit is that of an unbeliever. But notice what it says next. This is beautiful. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. How? In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. In the name of Jesus. When you said, I am in sin, whether it's an extortioner, a liar, uh, uh, as he says here, a sodomite or a feminite, uh, a feminine, uh, a fornicator, whatever, I am a sinner. I've been needed Jesus. I put my faith in him. And he says, now you're washed. Now you're sanctified, not, now you're justified, not saying, well, Jesus, and I'm bringing my sin along too. Now there might be someone again that comes to him and they have a struggle with, you know what, homosexuality. Does that mean they're a gay Christian? No, that's what they were. They're saved now, they're in Christ. They might be a Christian wrestling with that and struggling with that. Well, we're all wrestling through things, are we not? And that moves us even to our next point and that, Again, sanctify you completely through faith in Christ. Positionally, we're, we're sanctified. And now practically, God wants to sanctify us. We're a work in progress. It says in Hebrews 2.11, we are being sanctified. And the beautiful thing, again, he says, may, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. 
And when Jesus hung on the cross, one of his last words was, it is finished. Again, the price has been paid that if your faith is in Christ, positionally you are completely sanctified. You have the assurance of your salvation. Isn't that glorious? And now the Lord wants to, again, continue that work practically, to complete it practically. Now, we're never going to complete it until we go to be with him practically, but Ephesians or Philippians 1.6 says, being confident of this very thing, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So now we're in a process of growth. Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And one of the ways practically we grow is when we're yielded to Jesus who is the truth and the word of God that is truth, not wanting to incorporate lies and rebellion and so forth into this. And boy, woe to the individual that will stand up and start preaching that. That, that is a frightening, frightening place to be. He says next here, may the God of peace himself again sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, God wants to save all of you. Your body, your soul, your spirit. He wants to preserve all of you and in Christ we are preserved. And then daily again, the Lord is wanting to do a work in our lives. And he's gonna be persistent in that. And this is where when you get an individual that does know the Lord, that again is gravitating back to a sin and maybe starting to listen to that idea of justifying and so forth, well, God's going to be persistent. He's gonna be faithful on his own to discipline his children. It's like with Jacob. Listen, the Lord was persistent with him, this heel catcher, this deceiver. Jacob had faith, but Jacob was doing a lot of things his own way, and the Lord pursued him to the point where they wrestled all night. The sun's about to come up, so the Lord just takes out his hip, and what's Jacob do? He just cleaves to the Lord and says, I won't let go until you bless me. In other words, Jacob came to that place of just sur- total surrender. He believed, now he says, I lay it all down. You're, 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 I can go nowhere but you. Bless me. And see, God wants to preserve all of us. He wants all of us, and the beautiful thing is in Christ, we are preserved. Our soul, our spirit, we'll talk about in a minute here that they go to be with the Lord when we pass. Our body goes back to the earth. Abraham said in Genesis 18, 27, I am but dust and ashes because we're made out of dust. But even that dust is preserved. I won't, uh, we'll talk about that in, a, in a detail here in a second. But again, he wants to preserve us completely. And again, we are preserved completely in him because Jesus came in the flesh to make that provision. This little side note with a point of theology here. There's some that say Jesus didn't come in the flesh. And if he didn't come in the flesh, then listen, we have no preservation. He had to come and be a literal sacrifice for us. And yet Gnostics in the first century to Jehovah Jehovah Witnesses today either say he didn't come in the flesh or he didn't bodily resurrect, and that's problematic. If he didn't bodily resurrect, we're not going to bodily resurrect, and we're not going to be preserved forever. John 2, or 2 John 7 says, Many deceivers have gone into the world who do not confess Jesus as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. And aren't you so glad Jesus came in body, soul, and spirit? He lived a sinless life. He went to the cross. He rose from the grave. And he did that to take us from this place of being under the law to being under grace. And under grace, you will be preserved body, soul, and spirit for eternity. Now, we'll build on this in a second because it, it, it even gets better, but in that faith in Christ, we're in that 
place where we are fully blameless, we are fully preserved through Jesus Christ. And again, notice here, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, your whole spirit, soul, body be preserved, notice here, at the coming of our Lord Jesus. He doesn't say, may it be preserved if Jesus decides to come back. He says it very much with authority. At the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming back, amen? He is coming back like a thief in the night. And it's so important that we continue to proclaim that. Listen, the coming of Jesus Christ, as I've talked about many times, is under great assault. I listened to a a program on a radio station yesterday, and it, it was all about the abandoning of the teaching of prophecy and eschatology and the coming of the Lord. And people writing into this program saying, I've looked all over my city and I can't find anyone talking about the coming of Jesus anymore. Well, listen, we may not talk about it, but the Lord talks about it throughout the scripture. And if the Lord says he's gonna do it, he's gonna do it. He's faithful to his word. Jesus said in John 14, 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. Notice verse three. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. So he says, I'm coming back. And then he says, where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going and how can we know the way? Thomas had not been paying attention. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And again, notice, no one comes to the Father except through me. It's a Jesus thing. It's only through him. Only Jesus deals with the issue of sin that separates us from God. And then we saw the detail of this, or a lot of detail of it there in chapter four. Remember, those that die in Christ, their spirit, soul goes to be with the Lord. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. And yet when he comes back, they're coming back with Jesus. It says the dead in Christ will rise first. Dust and ashes will be be raised first and transform. And this is where it's really awesome because Our body's gonna be preserved forever in the Lord, but it's not the bodies as they are now. Isn't that good news? Back hurting today? Is your knee hurting today? We'll give it time. I mean, these are tents that that have the effects of sin on them. God said, if you eat the tree, you're gonna die. So these bodies are gonna be transformed. It's gonna be a body like Christ's resurrected body, a body that's not marred from the sin factor. A, a, a perfect body restored and perfect health that can perfectly worship God and fellowship with brothers and be about God's business forever and ever and ever and ever. Isn't that awesome? And in verse 24, he says, he who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Now notice here, he who calls you. And there's so many beautiful pictures of how awesome our God is. He who calls you, God called you. Throughout the scripture, it's always God calling men. Listen, in your salvation, some people say, well, I, you know what, I, I sought after God. Listen, God sought after you. God sought after me. No one seeks God on their own. When Adam sinned in the garden, what did he do? He went and he hid himself. He realized, I'm not in right standing with God anymore. He recognized God was telling the truth when he said, if you eat of that tree, you're gonna die. And then he went over and started trying to make garments for himself to cover his sin. And God could have left him there, but it says God saw him and he cried out there in Genesis 3, 9. He called out to Adam, where are you? 
And as Adam came out of the shadows, blaming God and his wife, <laughs> what does God do? He introduces them to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to make a way of salvation for you. And you see it throughout the word. Hagar, when she's driven away from Abraham and Sarah, is sitting down thinking she's going to die. And the angel of the Lord seeks after her. Hagar, I got a plan for you. Think about Elijah, you know, after the showdown on Mount Carmel, and then like his high point to his low point, hiding in the cave, and the Lord finds him and says, what are you doing here? Think about the disciples. How many of them said, Lord, we're here to follow you? He said, listen, you come follow me. Think about Lazarus, he's dead. Lazarus isn't doing anything, and he cries out, Lazarus, come forth. All of us. He says today, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, come to me all you who are labor and heavy laden and I will give you rest. The call of the Lord goes forth and the Lord calls us to himself. Again, it says he calls all. Listen, we get here into some mysterious, mysterious things. The Bible talks about those that hate the light. They practice evil. They don't heed the call. How that works out. Listen, I see an election. I see a free will. How's it all work out? Praise God in the back of my Bible, it doesn't say check Calvinism or Arminianism. In fact, I find neither of those men's names in my Bible. I know this, so God's the act of party, and God called us. And boy, what a great picture of his love for us. And listen, he's going to be faithful to do all these things. He's going to be faithful to sanctify us. We're sanctified. He's sanctifying us. He is faithful to preserve us, and he's going to be faithful to come back for us. He absolutely is faithful. He's faithful to his promises. They're yes and amen. If we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. 2 Timothy 2.13, he never changes. And this is glorious in his faithfulness. Listen, he suffers long. He doesn't lose interest in us. Isn't that awesome? Listen, let me ask you, do you ever lose interest in anything? How many of you guys in your garage have one of those bicycles, those stationary bicycles? A Nordatrack, you know, the ski thing or whatever. You go to garage shells, they're everywhere, right? What happened here? You had such a plan. You did it about five times and you lost interest. I think I was about sixth or seventh grade, and I had this fixation with getting a metal detector. And I worked for about a month, I got $2 an hour, and I saved enough money up to get this metal detector. And I thought, I'm going to go out and buy treasure. I read some, oh, I'm going to find treasure and whatnot. And the year before, I had buried a quarter in my front yard, and I forgot where I buried it. I was a weird kid. So I finally get the metal detector, and I go out, and within like 30 minutes, I find the quarter. And I'm just like, I found my quarter. I'm thinking, there must have been all kinds of other dumb kids that did the same thing, you know? Over the next uh, two, three weeks, I grew up in Gilroy, and a lot of people drink beer up there. And I went out to the park, and all I found were, were beer bottle caps and tabs, one after a couple pennies, some nails. And every time I went out, I lost more and more interest. And I, I worked for like two months for that thing. I used it for two weeks, and then it sat in my closet for like, I think, 20 years. I was in my 30s when I finally got rid of the stupid thing. <laughs> I just lost interest. And I think, how much more higher is God above us than we are above bottle caps, and yet he doesn't lose interest? And he's faithful. And that's a glorious thing. He will do it. He does what he says he's going to do. Isaiah 46, in chapter, verse 11, he says, I have purposed it. I will also do it. And so he will sanctify. He has sanctified us. He will sanctify us. 
He has preserved us. He will preserve us. He said he's coming back and he will come back. And then people say, well, when is he going to do it? Listen, he's coming back in his perfect timing. He's coming back quickly. Revelation twenty two twenty. He says, surely I'm coming quickly. Amen. Even so come Lord Jesus. And then we're told to always watch. So we should always be watching. We should always be looking. We should understand the times. He commends those that do. But at the same time, let's not go get so focused in on when as in the fact that he is going to. Acts 1, 6 and 7, the Lord is appearing to the disciples after his resurrection. And he, it, it says, therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? They thought, okay, you died, you rose from the grave. Is it time to restore all things? Is it time for your second coming? And he said, it's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father's put in his own authority. Listen, the Lord's going to come back when he's ready to come back. I, I, I look at the signs. I see so many things lined up in Scripture. And I think, listen, I, I believe the Lord can come back at any time. And God's wanted that for every generation. But he's going to come back when he's perfectly ready to. On YouTube that day, I saw a thing. Will the month of May usher in the tribulation? Probably the same guy who last year, will the month of September usher it in? And he had a big following on YouTube, and then it didn't happen, and then people forget, and they're all on there again. And I thought, well, what if he wants to come in March? Listen, he's going to do it. Don't doubt it. Again, it is yes and amen. In the midst of scoffers and so many mocking, even that in itself is a sign that he is coming soon. And then notice here, verse 25, and we're getting near the end here, he says, brethren, pray for us. Notice, brethren, pray for us. Those in Christ. We've got to be in Christ if the Lord's going to hear our prayers. If you think that you're going to enter into the throne room of God through your own righteousness, it's through the blood of Jesus. It's through first crying out and saying, I am a sinner, forgive me. And he says, brother, pray for me, because you have access to the throne room of God. And there are so many scriptures where Paul asks for prayer. And there's so many times when we don't. Maybe out of our pride or even out of just, you know, thinking, well, it doesn't availeth much. But we need to be a community built on the Lord. A people praying for one another. That's a, that's a very gentle ringtone there. Very, very gentle, very calming. <laughs> Someone's sweating right now. I'm not even going to look up. I don't even know who you are. <laughs> Beat of sweat right now. At the end, he says, let the grace of God be with you. I want that grace afforded to me when it happens to me. So anyhow, but Paul's asking for prayer. There's so many verses where he does this. In Romans 15:30, he says, I beg you to pray for us. I'm begging you. Ephesians 6 is all about spiritual warfare. And he says, and pray for us in the midst of this warfare. In Colossians 4, 2, and 3, he says, pray a door will open for us to spread the gospel. 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 and 2, he says, pray for us that God's word may run swiftly and be glorified, and we can be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. Are there any unreasonable people in your life? (laughs) He says, pray we can be delivered from this. And then it's interesting in Philemon, he's writing to Philemon, and he says, 
But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. It's a practical prayer. Hey, I need somewhere to live. Let's pray together. Pray for me. I'm trusting that through your prayers, God's going to open this door up for me. And so let's be praying for each other, and let's be asking for prayer as well. Let's be, again, turning to one another. Let's be a community built on Jesus Christ, amen? And then in 26, he says, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. Now, today that might get you arrested, but listen, this was their cultural way. This was kind of like their handshake of the day or their side hug or whatever you would call it. Greet one another. Greet all the brethren. You're going to have some brethren you're going to spend more time with. Jesus had the three, the 12, the 70, the 120. And you might have those three in your life, maybe 12, or maybe you just got one close brother or sister. But greet all the brethren. Don't make your three a click where you don't greet all the brethren. Don't look down on other brothers and sisters. Or don't put other brothers and sisters on a, you know, at a platform that, that, that you think they're unapproachable. And definitely, let's not do that with ourselves. Greet all the brethren. And notice here, with a holy kiss. So with a sincere greeting and a holy greeting, 100% holy and 0% perverse. And that's the main thing in this. God wants us to have a holy community built on his holy word, his holy spirit, and us striving to walk in holiness. And listen, it's very easy for perversity to get weeded into or spread into the local church. We hear about it all the time, do we not? It happened there in Corinth. The guy sleeping with his father's mom, and Paul's like, this is gross. The world doesn't even do this. What's wrong with you guys? And it is interesting, listen, when perversity gets in the local church it always takes on just even even more weird forms than in the world have you noticed that listen i know a lot about this my dad was a pastor till i was about 12 years old and our worship leader was molesting his daughter for years on end in that church and i always thought the dude was weird i was friends with his daughter and so forth it was his stepdaughter his wife had ms so he justified doing this she's god's gift to me was his justification the punk didn't even repent of it after it came out. And I remember as a kid, he always cried. Always crying. And everyone said, he's so spiritual. In my mind, I'm like, this guy's a crybaby. I was kind of a tough kid. It was, it was, it was Christianity mixed with street toughness to the umph degree. Oh, he's so spiritual. And there was just something like, this dude's just off. It was weird. Sometimes, you know, kids see things that the adults don't see. And then it came out, and it was just this perversion. Let's strive to walk in holiness to one another, right? Paul told them in Corinth, purge this out. It's easy for it to get in any of our hearts. To start looking forward to going to church because there's someone you like looking at. Let's crucify that. I've been in this pulpit in this church for 20 years. There's been more than one time I've seen guys sitting in the seat there and some woman walks by and they're like, mm-hmm, checking her out. I had a talk with every single one of them after service. Some repented, others didn't, and they no longer came here. Some talk bad about me to this day. Guess what? I don't care. 
Because there were other things going on as well. Is that me being heavy-handed? No. Listen, there's been many a time where I've had to bring my thoughts and my issues before the Lord. We're all flesh and blood, right? We've got a sin nature. The main thing, listen, it's easy for all of us to struggle with that, but let's bring it to Jesus, amen? Let's strive to love our brothers and sisters in the Lord like we would love our brothers and sisters in the flesh. I got a son and three daughters, a son that goes to the gym, a son that looks out for his sisters, a son with sisters whose acquaintances know their brother looks out for them. Let's look out for one another in that manner, amen? And listen, if that's your struggle, I'm not saying leave here. I'm saying bring before the Lord and be honest with God. Get some accountability if you're a man from other men or women from other men, women, amen? This is a hospital. But if you're going to bring perversity in and want to spread it like leaven, we're not going to rejoice in that and say, oh, we're so gracious. There's going to be a call to repentance in that for all of us, starting with the logs in our own eye. And then we're almost done. He says, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the brothers. So again, I'm commanding you. This is the word of the Lord. So read it to all the brethren. And again, it's not a suggestion. It's a commandment. It's from the Lord. Get in the word of God. All of the word for all the brothers. All the sisters. All of God's word is for all of us. Not well, some of God's words for some of them. All of it is for all of us. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness that the man of God, you could say the woman of God, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Are you a man of God? Are you a woman of God? Can you say men? Listen, the only thing that makes you a man of God, a woman of God, is your faith is in Jesus Christ. And if he's your Lord, then it means you are saying, I am subjected to his word. To all of it. So all scripture for all of those that are in Christ, the holy brother. And when there's brothers and sisters that say, I'm not subjected to the word of God, I don't know their heart, but I got a question if they're holy brothers or sisters or not. Is Jesus really their Lord? Why, I love Jesus, but ew, the Bible? That's where we are today. Jesus is my homie, but ew, the Bible? Yuck. You're legalistic. What's wrong with you? You're so legalistic. Big difference between legalism, which that person is doing, they're setting up their own law, and their law is, the Bible's yucky. There's a big difference between that and holiness. Walking in what God's called us to walk in. And listen, his, burdens, his, his, his commandments are not burdensome. We have the person of the Holy Spirit. We have Jesus who wants to help us. He says, humble your heart in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Lord, I got a struggle here. God, I got, I got a difficult time. My eyes wander because I've been looking at pornography since I was five years old to when I got saved at 42. God understands the struggle, man. Bring it before the Lord. He'll be blessed that you do. He wants to help you in it. So we want to receive all the word. And then finally he says, and boy, what a wonderful way to end. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, amen. Because without his grace, we're not gonna do any of this. Listen, his grace saves us. We're saved by grace through faith, not of works as any of us boast. God's gift, his life laid down, unmerited favor. 
His grace saves us. His grace sustains us. People say, I think I can lose my salvation. Well, then you probably will. If I can lose my salvation, I'll lose it. I know myself too well. His grace saves us, it sustains us, and then it's the divine influence upon our life that we would grow in him. Peter prayed, or Peter uh, put forth in his epistle, in 2 Peter 3, 17 and 18, he says, you therefore, beloved, since you knew this beforehand, beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness and be led away with the air of wickedness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So grow in grace. How do you grow in grace? Knowledge of the Lord. Not just knowing about the Lord, not just busy book work, but knowing the God of the word through the word of God, getting to know him. Being a person built on the Lord, a community built on the Lord in prayer, in the word, in worship, and walking with Jesus and saying, listen, let's open the door and let Jesus in, that we would abound in his grace. And then he closes out with an amen. So be it. This is the final authority. This is God's word for us. We want to receive it. We want to walk in it. We want to cry out to God and ask for great grace and mercy in all of it. Because again, without that, we got nothing. So let's stand up and close in prayer here today. Lovely Father, we just lift you up today. We thank you for who you are. Thank you so much for your great goodness. Oh, Lord, I, I rejoice, God, that you are long-suffering. You are faithful. Lord, we lose interest in stuff and people and situations so easily. Oh, I thank you, Lord, that you never lose interest in us. What an amazing God you are. What a great picture of your Love for us, God. I would hope and pray, God, we'd leave here knowing all the more how much you love us, and from that, we would love you back all the more. If you're here today, if you haven't called upon the name of Jesus, you've heard the gospel, which is good news. Listen, the bad news is our sin, the condemnation we are under. The good news is that Jesus has made that way of salvation. Call on him today. Listen, humble your heart today. When I see people get saved in the scripture, it's them coming to that place of brokenness and crying out, be merciful to me, a sinner. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Me and this guy crucified on your other side, you've done no wrong. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. That thief on the cross. The Apostle Paul, when he said, Lord, what would you have me to do? Professing Jesus as Lord. He went from wanting to kill Christians to following the Christ of Christianity. Call on him today. He'll meet you where you're at. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. Let's lift our voices to him as we close here.
bless you in the Lord Jesus Christ. Reminder, we got prayer tonight in the park at 5 p.m. Come join us if you can.